But let's be real, have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Okay, but what if you did want to get more coffee into your life? Well, good news for you, folks. We have a brand new sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show. It is one run-your-mouth coffee free speech. Never tasted so good. The hope is that the delicious roast-to-order coffee provides you with the fuel. Yes, you need to stand up to censorship and proudly run your mouth with amazing coffee to help you truly speak freely from 12-ounce bags up to 2-pound bags all of the coffee from the amazing Run Your Mouth Coffee is roasted to order after roasting delivery. It takes around two to five days, meaning that you will receive fresh roasted coffee made for you at peak flavor. And all coffee varieties are available both in ground and whole bean. From espresso yourself, speak freely, mind changer, pumpkin persuasion, and rebellion beans, Run Your Mouth Coffee has some delicious coffee just in store for you. And folks, if you are a listener of The Brian Nichols Show, you can use code Nichols at checkout and get 10% off your order. So head over to Run Your Mouth Coffee. Make sure you use code Nichols at checkout. Get 10% off your order and run your mouth today. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. We made it, folks. Friday is finally upon us. And yes, you are in store for another phenomenal episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Before we get started, my goodness, I think we're getting one step closer to uh, some normality, despite uh, some folks out there like uh, one Anthony Fauci still trying to uh, keep things locked down when asked what was the science for denying vaccinated Americans a return to somewhat of a normal life, like, you know, travel and such. He says, well, when you don't have the data and you don't have the actual evidence, you've got to make a judgment call. Oh, man, that really does kind of summarize, well, what's happened over the past year. And uh, with that special announcement as we get towards the end of the show, so make sure you uh, you stick around as we wrap things up, because we're going to have a really cool thing coming out for you guys. But uh, it does uh, do mostly (laughs) to do with uh, what we talked about here with Anthony Fauci. But First of all, welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. And yes, I I did tease. You're here for another phenomenal episode with, yes, a phenomenal guest. And this is uh, one guest I've been so looking forward to having on the program. One, Jack Hunter. Now, Jack obviously is well known in the greater conservatarian circles with all of his work over with the Paul family, specifically uh, working with Rand Paul in his uh, senatorial campaigns and also uh, during uh, Rand's actual tenure as a U.S. senator. So it was great to, uh, to get to kind of pick... Uh, Jack's brain, but also to talk about this uh, idea of populism being used as a tool to help promote uh, libertarian policies through the GOP. So Jack has uh, been really doing a lot of work over there in in focusing on that. So great opportunity for him to kind of lay out that vision and more. So with that being said, on to the show, Jack Hunter here on The Brian Nichols Show. Good to be with you, Brian. I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to it too. Thank you, Jack. I I appreciate it. And I always appreciate the, uh, the, your sharing uh, the show and my goodness, I got to give a, a big shout out to our, our mutual friend, as you mentioned beforehand, Brad Palumbo, 
uh, for going out of his way and, and helping, I guess, bridge the gap, getting uh, you uh, involved in terms of, of seeing him on my program. And then uh, obviously now you joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show, Jack, and you have a great history in politics. And I would love to start kind of back at the beginning. I, I remember I first got familiar with you back with uh, your work with Rand Paul uh, and obviously your fantastic book, uh, The Tea Party Goes to Washington. Um, so let's kind of start off. Who is this Jack Hunter and uh, what got you into this conservatarian, libertarian world you found yourself in? Well, you know, I've had young libertarians primarily at like Young Americans for Liberty events over the years say, you know, I'm interested in getting into broadcasting or writing or something along those lines, messaging in different forms. And they ask my advice and I do have good advice to give them. But I'm also like my career trajectory is the weirdest thing. Like nobody could have made this up and, you know, good parts and bad parts. But to answer your question, you know, I was a guy who was in radio. I had a sort of a shock jock gimmick. A lot of your listeners probably are aware of that got me in trouble later. But, um, you know, I was sort of like a Pat Buchanan anti-war conservative. That's, I wasn't even a libertarian. And this is the late 90s when I was on a rock station. And then the mid-2000s, I translated that to a talk radio, which was more suited to political commentary on the rock station. Like you hear me like complaining about neocons in between like Weezer and Stone Temple Pilots. It didn't make sense, but for Charleston it did, and it was popular. Okay? <laughs> so... When I was, you know, YouTube, I think, came out in 2005, and one of the other DJs said, you know, you should put your radio commentaries on this thing called YouTube. I was like, what is YouTube? And I did that, and it was kind of popular, certainly popular local in the Charles, Charleston, South Carolina area. But when Ron Paul came on the scene in 2008, I think I was one of like three people on the right that were like, that's our guy to screw you other guys. I think it was me. If anybody remembers Charles Goyette out West. Yeah. Some people do. Some people don't. And Judge Napolitano, who was a big yes, name, the judge. his libertarian freak flag fly more than ever and had a guy. And, you know, we know that Ron drew groves of lot, lots of young people, lots of independents, lots of Republicans who started to think different, lots of Democrats at the time, quite frankly. And there was nobody to put this in the context within the larger media. Now, look, I'm just, just a guy in a second rate market in Charleston, but I had YouTube. And so when Rudy Giuliani was saying Ron Paul was blaming America on a Republican debate stage in 2007, where there's Jack Hunter making a YouTube saying that's BS. Here's what's really happening. You know, Rush Limbaugh wasn't talking about this. Sean Hannity wasn't talking about this. All those guys didn't like Ron Paul either. If Ron Paul was on Sean Hannity's program, it was the fight. A lot of people remember those times. So that's what kind of elevated me. I'm giving this history for a reason. I came across, obviously, the Paul families, you know, and, um, you know, sort of encapsulated that message, that libertarian conservative message from a talk radio standpoint. I'm that guy. You can tell me, you know, yapping right now. That's just my background. And there was a not much of that. So, you know, supply and demand, <laughs> your supply, the media guys like me. So I got elevated. They really liked what I did. Ron himself wanted me to work on the 2012 campaign as the blogger and messenger and, you know, replying at National Review and they beat up on Ron, stuff like that. And I love doing that. Uh, in between 2012 and 2008 is when I worked with Senator Paul on the Tea Party Goes to Washington, which you have read and others. And so all that sort of culminates to, you know, working for Senator Paul, working throughout this movement. You know, I always thought the goal was the reason I was attracted to Ron Paul. I was a, a Pat Buchanan anti-war conservative. Well, I can tell you in the Bush years, there were like five of us. And I even quit calling myself a conservative because people would be like, oh, you're like Dick Cheney. I'm like, nope, don't like that word. Nothing like that. Well, I was comfortable calling myself a conservative again. Ron Paul was a person I knew who he was in 2008. I was like, three people are going to vote for him. The opposite happened. 
And so, you know, that was my guy eternally, that message and, and still is. But the goal was to sort of take on the enemies in the Republican Party, which are the neoconservatives at the time that got us into Iraq, and are many of most of them still unrepentant about that and are eager to repeat it in Iran. And it seemed like an impossible goal. I mean, we were just the anti-war conservatives of the Buchanan stripe, like, the, you know, there was nobody. And then Ron revived the whole thing, Dr. Paul. And so later we had, what, libertarian congressmen, Republican congressmen, you know, switch later, but... Justin Amash, you had Libertarian Republican Thomas Massey, my friend from South Carolina in this last election. Now we have Libertarian Republican Nancy Mace of South Carolina. So this was a small group and you had people like Mike Lee. And obviously Ron was there for a time and let's not miss the son of Ron Paul, Senator Rand Paul. But there was a legitimate faction, however great or small, within the Republican Party that did not exist before. There was a faction within the GOP that was staunchly non-interventionist and pro-civil liberties and against the drug war and all these other things, but that had never existed. That's a big part of Ron's, Dr. Paul's legacy is he existed something in American politics to that point that had never existed. I'm not talking about like one dude here or there, that dude usually being Ron or Dr. Paul, but I, we talk about Ron and Rand so much, I tend to use their first names. It's not meant to be disrespectful. And when you say Dr. Paul, well, they're both doctors or, you know, it gets <laughs> So he established that, you know, we went through the Tea Party, which was very good for libertarians. There was even polling at the time where people would say, well, about 50 percent of the Tea Party are like with Ron Paul and 50 percent are with Sarah Palin, you know, a little more culturally conservative. But it was all about spending and debt. It wasn't about immigration. It wasn't, you know, so that was a good period. And then I would say a lot of that, those people became the MAGA people now. And there's good things about that. And there's bad things about that from a libertarian perspective or just your own personal perspective. But I got to tell you, you know, the last four years, I've been excited that the average Republican, when I was in my days in talk radio and saying, Ron Paul's the guy, Giuliani sucks. And the callers would call in and say, no, man, Giuliani's a real conservative. How dare you be against the Iraq war? Get that liberal Ron Paul off the stage. Well, now people of that mind, including a lot of the exact same people who are a little older now, are like, America first. We don't need to be nation building. Why are these liberals like Liz Cheney want to get us in the wars? It, it flipped. So, And I can remember that, and I don't like everything about Trump. I don't like how we talk about immigrants in particular. I don't like beating up on poor, defenseless people. But I, I'm not for open borders either, but you see what I'm saying. Like You can talk about people as people and still discuss policy. I don't think a lot of that was done, but – what I just said about foreign policy, I love that a Republican president did something historic and monumental with the First Step Act, which wasn't even something Republicans thought about. You had like Rand and Grover Norquist doing some prison reform stuff. And then here comes Trump, who everybody loves. is like, hell yeah, we're getting Alice Johnson out of jail. Who else can we put on that list? And you know, have this, they really have this great plan to people who shouldn't even be in jail, period, because the drug war is stupid, a lot of it. It's certainly not for as long as they have been. But you can point to that example to our friends on the right and say, yeah, this is what we're for. It's conservative. It's Republican. And we can expand on that. And that's what yeah. I'm really excited about right now. Yeah. And, and well, that's a perfect segue, Jack, because one of the things and obviously you're you listen to the show and you, you hear I'm a sales executive by trade. So one of the things I'm trying to figure out is what worked. Right. What what can we look back to and replicate that we can then, in, I guess, implement now? That worked in 2010, or do you think we're too far past the uh, the messaging of 2010? 
No, and look, if if the parts we liked about 2010 can be resurgent again, and I think they will just due to partisan reasons. When they were uh, upset about the national debt back then, it was between nine and 13 trillion over a number of years. It's at 27 trillion dollars now, and I'm not saying all these people won't be complete hip- hip- hypocrites when they're complaining about it because they supported Trump and the spending. But I'll take it. That's just kind of where yeah. we are. Um, I do think that it has been proven over a decade that on the right, and this is true on the left too, which I'll get to in a second, that populism is going to be with us for for a bit. It's going to steer the future of the Republican Party. The Tea Party was a populist movement. Ron Paul's 2008 and 2012 campaigns were populist movements. You know, there was nobody that that was an astroturf. That was real people who were inspired by this message. On the left in 2016 and in this past election, Bernie Sanders' movement were populist movements. The, there are people, principled people on both sides, we might not agree with their principles, who are tired of the establishment. Biden got in there because somebody, everybody was so freaked out by Trump, but that doesn't mean the next Democratic nominee is at AOC or somebody like that. And, you know, if Trump decides to run again, you know, I think it's, it's his to have. I, we'll see what he says. But I think somebody that's on the right side of Trump, whether that be somebody like Rand Paul, or Governor DeSantis in Florida, somebody who's just on his good side. I know that sounds silly, but that's just kind of how it is. They could have some of these libertarian issues, get the Trump stamp on it, get his approval, and they could win. I think people might be really fed up with with Democrats destroying jobs and the big spending in two years, and we'll see what happens with Congress, but in four years, yeah, because Biden's not anything special. People were voting against Trump. That's been established. Yeah, and I I just read a really fascinating article, and it was – um how to persuade the unpersuadable. And one of the, the, the well, the real uh, framing of the article is looking at Steve Jobs. And it was uh, interviews with four individuals from Apple and how uh, really what they were able to do was be there as uh, foils to Steve Jobs to push him in directions to challenge him and his his constant overconfidence in many cases. For one of the uh, stories, for example, it was the uh, CEO of Corning Glass and uh, the idea was right. make a narcissist explain themselves and uh, take somebody like a Trump, right? You look at somebody like Rand Paul, who very similarly to this story to, in this case, in the story, you had um, the, the CEO of, of uh, uh, Corning working with Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs saying, listen, I need a, a new glass for my phone. And the, the Corning glass uh, CEO says, great, well, you know, I'll have my experts kind of sit down with your experts. And he goes, I am the expert. Like, you're going to talk to me. I'm the expert. I'm Steve Jobs. And the, the CEO says, well, I, I'm sorry, like, do you know how to, to make glass? And he goes, of course I know how to make glass. And then he goes, okay, well, how about, show, here, you, you show me how to make the glass, right? And then to get him to kind of explain, here, here we're going to explain how to make some glass and realize, oh yeah, I, I don't know maybe how to make the glass like I thought I did. And it was it was interesting because you you heard in the, in the article that that was a great way to leverage not just the 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 blind spots of Steve Jobs, but in this case, it actually turned him to taking a different approach to something he wouldn't have otherwise. And I I segue that to Trump with Rand Paul. Rand Paul got so much flack over the past four years because he was with Trump so often. And people don't realize that Rand was actually the the number one senator who voted the most against Trump's uh, record in, in the Senate. But to the point that Rand Paul was actually able to kind of work with Trump and use some of Trump's his his narcissistic sociopathic behaviors against him just the way that you would want to if you were trying to you know persuade somebody in the the way I was reading this article so it's funny how you can see these parallels and you can see that somebody like a Rand Paul he was walking this fine line to be able to actually make a substantive difference and I would say I would much rather have folks like Rand Paul 
have the ear of the president than not. I, I think that's an objective good thing that we can walk away from. So I, I say all that, Jack, to say, let's kind of take, I guess, what we learned <laughs> from 2010 to uh, here we are now in 2021. We have like a decade or so of Tea Party politics using the route of the GOP. We did get some success in terms of getting, to your point, elected uh, small L libertarians into office, being that of Rand Paul, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, and more recently folks like Nancy Mace, Mike Lee, and so forth. So I guess now let's kind of turn that to looking ahead to 2022, 2024, and beyond. Obviously, we do have a bit of a challenge right now because we are in, an, a, a, you know, from a policymaking position, the minority. So how can we maybe best utilize our positions or in this case, our principles to navigate this very uncertain future and actually get some pro-liberty action and policy into a implementation to help make people's lives better right now? Well, as long as Senator Paul, or excuse me, as long as Donald Trump is a force, and he could be a force right through 2024, maybe win again. I don't know. I don't know. He could a year from now be like, well, I'm tired of this. I have no idea. I doubt that. But but as long as that's the dynamic on the American right within the Republican Party, not only has Senator Paul played it about as well as you could possibly expect over the last four years, he's so well positioned to continue doing that. Look at the dynamic right now. And, you know, a lot of people laugh at me that I say politics is wrestling. Everything is wrestling. I'm talking about professional wrestling. Rand Paul voted against Donald Trump's agenda more than any other Republican. Donald Trump and Rand Paul are buds. They get along. They're friends. They have mutual respect. Mitt Romney and Ben Sass voted with the Trump agenda more than Rand Paul did. But they're on the outs. This is cosmetics. Who's a good guy and who's a bad guy based on. And what we can accomplish in the future, what I said earlier, hey, we want the Second Step Act, and here's more criminal justice reform. Well, you know, Tom Cotton might not like it, and he's got a good relationship with, with you know, Donald Trump, but so does Thomas Massey at this point, <laughs> Rand Paul. Uh, maybe Nancy's, you know, I have to do something else. He might be mad at her at this point. I bet he is. And I like, by the way, that libertarians are not all pro-Trump or all anti-Trump. I love that because we're, we're like that because we're libertarians. But these issues, these policies, when Liz Cheney, if she makes it, we'll see in two years, is calling for the next war, you remind him, we're America first. We don't want to do that, especially when the Bidens might be in favor of it, You know, the Biden administration, rather. That's a lot to play with there, and so much of it is positioning. You'd like to think, well, we're all intelligent, rational people, and it has to do, is this a good policy for the country? Nah, that's not how you get there. I mean, these people that want to bomb Iran look at Iraq as a good model for that because they're ideologues and that that's just their agenda. But most Americans and most of the world looks at that and says, don't do that again. But that's how that stuff works. That's where I was pre-Ron Paul back in those days watching Butch Taney, you know, this little old radio host over in Charleston, South Carolina, and you just felt overwhelmed and there was no way to challenge these people. They're on their knees right now. or They're just scared. And I could have never imagined that. So when these issues come up, and, you know, Senator Paul and Trump have a relationship. And if he puts his stamp on it, what he thinks Republicans should do is the things that we want to do. It's kind of the same thing. He's just not in the White House, you know. And I think you remember the Tea Party was born. It started in the Bush era. People were mad about the bailouts and all that stuff. It was it grew under Barack Obama. So that partisanship, whatever you want to think of it, it's human nature. It's wrestling. That's the bad guy. And this is the good guy. And and look, this. I'm a big believer in that these ideologies, ones we agree with that we don't, don't really become successful until they can be personified. We would not be talking about socialism in any serious fashion in the United States right now if Bernie Sanders didn't become a thing. 
just and Ocasio-Cortez and some other people burning sort of the top of that heap, we wouldn't be talking about political libertarianism or being to do any of this stuff with any administration if Ron Paul had not created what he created. Bingo. Those are true. You need a person. They need to look at it. I like that person. I like what they stand for. And look, I'm not, not diminishing or being patronizing. People have beliefs. They care about education. They care about their jobs. But a lot of it get, gets mixed up in a good or bad ball, and it relates to certain people. I mean, if you want to be extreme, if Hitler wasn't who he was, National Socialism might not have happened the way it happened. It needed a figure. So that's always been true throughout history with left-wing movements, right-wing movements, other movements. You know, We talk about populism, and a lot of our friends who don't like Trump think populism is the problem. No, it's not. Bernie Sanders was populism. Now, that's problematic, but it's not the populism himself itself. Jesse Jackson, when he ran in 1988. That was a populist campaign for, quite frankly, a lot of things we agree with and how the black community is affected, even though he was a big government Democrat. But there's good parts of that populism. Populism itself is not the enemy. And I, for the life of me, can't imagine how any libertarian thinks we would even get to do any of the things we wanted without some aspect or version of populism. Yeah, I mean, we can have all the right answers. And, and, and you know, this goes back to uh, my, my day job, right? So again, I'm a sales exec- executive in the telecom industry. So we have engineers galore. And if we were just to say to the engineers, go and, and you know, give us your white papers and I will go just you know, deliver it to every single IT director in the continental United States. I can guarantee that the, the return on investment would be negligible at best. If not, we'd be in, in the red. So why? Because right. People don't just need information at this point. They don't just need, and candidly, Jack, I think we can all agree, we kind of are in this era of information overload. There's so much information. It's now on us to say, okay, what's the important information? So then it's on us. How do we articulate the important information, the, the stuff that actually matters to people, to them where it, it meets them? And, and right now it's the issues that matter to them. And, and right to your point, that is actually, in, in this case, personified by that act of a populist candidate, the person who is listening to the problems that the people are, are saying, help solve this problem and saying, I have the answers. Now we can argue all day long of whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in, in a politician, but I would say we would much rather have a a person like Ron Paul with a populist feel about him than to the contrary, right? A Bernie Sanders who has the exact same populist kind of appeal, but would be using government more. So I guess how can we get people, and this is almost a backwards question, but I mean, they kind of are almost voting against air quotes, their self-immediate interests, right? Because maybe right. you're taking that that short, immediate hurt for the long-term feel of, you know, good down the road. But people right now are saying, but Jack, I'm hurting right now. So how can we help them understand we, you're hurting right now, but trust us, <laughs> our solutions will actually help. Where, where are we missing them and how can we help bridge that gap? It depends, and it's all relevant to the, whatever cycle we're in and what's going on. And, you know, your example, people will vote for things that are actually detrimental to them. I mean, you saw people uh, – my, my father's in the construction business. He loved Trump, and the price of lumber was going up, and the big one was copper. He was an electrician, and it wasn't enough not to vote for Trump, but he didn't like that policy. But you see what I'm getting at. Like it was hurting his business and his ability to, to hire and do new work, but he still was going to vote for Trump. So it's amazing to what degree – you can <laughs> you can go that far, and there are a lot of people like that. And lo- like you said, I don't I don't think it's something to look down on or make fun of. It's human nature. Right. I yes. think a lot of libertarians do that. They're like, well, right now I'm interested in something that I read in the Road to Serfdom. It has nothing to do with us talking about you know transgender on the hill or whatever else is going on. But I'm going to ram it down your throat. And you're going to like it. If you they're like the woke left people, like here's my truth, and there's no discussion about it. And if you don't like it, no. 
that's not how people operate. <laughs> I, I always I look at people back home more than I do here in D.C. or certainly social media. I'm always interested in relatives who were like in a certain place and they moved. Why? And that's that anecdotal evidence informs my mindset more than what some columnists that me and my friends read. I like that. I do that. But, you know, that's just what you have to do. So much of it is about reaching people on a personal level. A very dear loved one of mine. We went and saw the Dick Cheney movie that came out. Do you Vice. remember? Yes. Vice. It was an okay movie, but I thought it got the war stuff right, how rotten these people were and the neoconservatives and all that. And, you know, I'm from South Carolina. This same person who I love dearly, we got, went and got dinner that night, and she talked about how much she absolutely loved Nikki Haley. And I was like, hey, um, there's things I like about her. She was our governor, but you know she's like those people in that movie, right? Like that's her camp. That's her tribe, the neoconservatives. Well, I just like her, you know, maybe she can change on that, which we come on. But like, that's most people. Yes. This is not, it, somebody that's, you know, doesn't have intelligence. This is somebody with a good heart, compassionate, but that's how people work. And I, too, I think to the degree that we realize that, let me, let's get, let's look at a real world example that all libertarians are familiar with. So when Justin Amash came out for impeachment and Justin Amash is one of the best libertarians in the history of us having libertarians in politics and the Republican Party. And I disagreed with him taking that position. I also I wrote a piece. I said Trump deserves to be impeached for this and about a thousand other things, and so did every other president. It's kind of odd to pick this one thing when Walter Jones was wanting to impeach Obama over things that not all those guys jumped in on. Right. You see what I'm getting at? But the fallout from that was, well, I used to like Justin Amash, but now I don't. I wish he was more like Rand. And the people who thought what he was doing was great was like, well, Rand sucks. He's a where do those men? Other than impeachment, disagree on a single issue. Bingo. Yep. It's, it's, it's all the Trump. wrestling. Yep. It's the wrestling. It's Which side? Trump's a bad guy, so I don't like this other guy. Trump's a good guy, so don't. That, and that's they. Oh, they're so different. They're completely alike politically in principle, which is what we're supposed to talk about. But how many of our own people even behave that way? We're supposed to be like above it, right? We're libertarians. Nah, we're all civilians. We're all civilians. You and I have been guilty of this too. I'm not acting like, but these specific things I kind of saw through it the whole time. Yeah, it's I love the the analogy that you're going to analogy metaphor. I always confuse those two, but wrestling, right? Because it is I, I always say everything's sales, but I mean, really, wrestling is nothing more than it's selling a, a story. It's, it's it's acting of, of a sorts. Now, granted, there's a lot more into it. But yes, people are looking for the good guy, the bad guy. I think that's very interesting. I, I you know, when we're talking about this with my sales team, I always talk about telling stories, tell the story of the mm-hmm. customer experience who, you know, not just the good stories, but the customers who had bad things happen and, and where we were able to help fix that. That's where people really appreciate things. So, you know, I, I think right now people are looking for the problem solvers. People are looking for answers to a lot of the problems. And I think by and large, people are, are pretty much on the same page. I, was, I just, I was on a show um, this past week discussing this where I said, you know, people are pretty much all in agreement. Something's wrong. Like we can right. feel it. Like there's just, something's not right. And and we all sure. are on, on the same page, but then it's like, okay, well now what are we going to do about it? Right? So I guess that's where it is a challenge and it's on us to to make sure that we're we're selling value the best way we can about these ideas and showing that they're not just ideas, but actually solving problems. So let's kind of do this, Jack, as we're wrapping up here. Uh, I think 
to your point, we do need to have people who are going to be the the faces, the 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 rallying point. Uh, the people can say, okay, this is the person who's at least carrying our ideas forward. Be it you know a, a celebrity or a, a rising star in in politics. So I, I'm curious who you think right now is kind of that face, that that polarizing or engaging figure that people are going to start gravitating towards for a message of liberty. I don't think it's clear cut right now, and I'm kind of happy that we have a number of people who could rise to that or be that. You know, Ron Paul eternally is the, you know, the father of the American political libertarian movement. But, you know, he's resting now and God, he certainly deserves it. Um, you know, he, he doesn't need to do any of this again. As far as I'm concerned, he gave us more than <laughs> you could possibly ask for. I don't think Rand Paul's completely out of that picture. And I don't mean just if he did or did not run for president. I'm talking about he's, a, he's high profile. People know who he is. And. Being somebody that people know, a personality, whether you like that personality or dislike that personality, gives you the ability to move things in certain directions. I think Thomas Massey is a very folksy, cool friend of mine, but a lot of people warm to him. He's a warm guy. And the most he was known nationally is pissing off all of Washington for opposing the first COVID bill, including <laughs> the president. And then it turned out like two weeks later, he was absolutely right. These people you know, gave money to corporations and people didn't need it. Yep. I think uh, Nancy Mace in South Carolina, that same person I was talking about earlier that loved Nikki Haley, also loves Nancy Mace, who stands very far apart from Nikki Haley um, on those issues. But that that stuff matters. Mike Lee's always been great. I'm curious with Governor DeSantis in Florida. He's done a lot of libertarian things. Yep. Um, Quite frankly, Matt Gates. I don't agree with him on everything, but good God, somebody that you were going to see what they were going to do. When he talks about foreign policy, he sounds like Noam Chomsky or like, you know, he's radical. And part of that is personal. He's in a very military heavy district, but I think he's an ally on most things. He calls himself a libertarian. I don't know if that's absolutely true. You know what? And I don't care. It does not matter <laughs> that purity. It means he's a guy who's right on a lot of things, likes going on TV, the base likes him. And quite frankly, if we're talking about in a big way the things we want to fight, we want to sort of align ourselves with the Trump populace and the MAGA people. I know we've been talking about foreign policy, civil liberties. This woke, illiberal left cancel, Brian, you have to believe A, B, and C. If not, you're transphobic. You're, and I'm somebody that defends transgender people. It's a legit thing. People have been like this forever and ever. No, I think some, you know, hyper PC people are identifying with this and when they're actually not. Yes, I do. Do I think that a transgender man that or opposite, I don't think men should play in women's sports. Martin, you see what I'm getting at, but that's not to diminish these people, their personhood, they're unique and we should respect them and try to understand them, which is hard to do when everybody's being so mean and ugly to each other. But my point anyway, that's in the news cycle right now. The point of bringing this up is these people like look at Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi. These are people on the left who the 20 something woke staff members who think that lib liberalism, as we understand it, is bad and free speech is bad. The Constitution is bad. The Electoral College is bad. They say, well, you're a racist. They're terrible. Uh, you know, Andrew Sullivan, who voted for Obama twice, but is technically a conservative. He wasn't conservative. He was too conservative for the New York magazine. You see what I'm getting at? That's scary for free press, the ability to say something on Twitter, Facebook. I think a lot of the MAGA people are there right now. They're just as scared and angry. That's the thing with Section 230 and all that bearing opinions. But I think, you know, libertarians are classical liberals and we are fighting straight up illiberalism embraced by the left. It's a handful of people like Naomi Wolf, Glenn Greenwald, Taibbi, I just mentioned, some Tulsi Gabbard. 
some on the left like that who recognize what the libertarians or even the populists are talking about. Yeah. So I think we have a lot to, lot to work with there. And that's not a strategic thing. That's a needed thing. I like the Constitution. I like liberal democracy and free speech and all these things. So public or private, we can't let these people get away with that. So that's going to be a big part of that fight along with other things we've talked about. I hope oh, that answered your question. It Maybe did. Not, no, no, it did, Jack. And, and unfortunately, because we could go on literally forever and ever. We're, you're going to have to be on the show re reoccurring because I think this is a conversation, especially because you are an insider. And I think having more of, you know, your, your ear to the ground and hearing what's what's happening behind closed doors and kind of where not just the the tenor of America is, but the tenor of Washington. It is important to, to kind of get a better idea of how things work on the inside. We uh, at the big channel, Chris Spangle has a show, The Swamp Explained, uh, where he has a longtime insider in, in the American government. Um, I forget the gentleman's name off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, talking about you know some of the, the, the swamp that, that exists and, and how it got to where it is. And to your point, you, you kind of you have to right now acknowledge that that's the system we have right now. We have to kind of work sure. through that system we have to deconstruct it and uh, with that obviously we need to make sure we're, we're supporting the folks who are, are focusing and fighting to try and uh, and get that thing reeled in so jack you're, you're fighting the good fight where can folks obviously go ahead and support all the work you're doing and, and see all uh the, the the content you're producing left and right i'm at jack w hunter 74 on facebook and jack hunter 74 on twitter and anything i put out you will definitely see it there and i'm a, I'm a regular at the washington examiner and the spectator usa and you got a nice big uh, 5,000 some odd word article come up here you mentioned. So, whew. Yeah, it's not going to be 5,000 words. I got to edit it down, but that's where I'm at right now. But it's a, a lot of the things we're talking about here in this podcast today are in that article. So it's, it's coming soon. Awesome. Well, how about this? We'll make sure we include the uh, the link to that article as well as the link to all social media so it's easier for folks to have a one-stop shop. Jack Hunter, Washington Examiner, and all the other works will be included in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Great to be with you. Had a good time. When we're talking about living a truly free and independent life, we mean it. And that's exactly what Gary Collins, who is the creator of The Simple Life, set out to accomplish. And now you have a chance to learn all the secrets that Gary has developed over decades of trying it out himself, building these amazing courses, as you can go to thesimplelifenow.com and access three amazing courses. One being the off-the-grid master course, two being the how to finance your off-grid home course and three how to find your dream off-grid property course and get an awesome 10% off at checkout by using code tbns10 that's right you too can learn how to live a truly free and independent lifestyle by living off-grid and all these amazing courses are delivered to you by yes one gary collins from the simplelifenow.com use code tbns10 at checkout for 10% off your order and start living your free life today all right, folks, that's going to wrap up our conversation with Jack Hunter. Jack, thank you so much for joining The Brian Nichols Show. And folks, if you got some value from today's episode, well, I'm going to ask you to do something. What is that? You know the drill. Share today's episode. Go ahead on social media. Make sure you tag me at B Nichols Liberty, and you do that on Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com. And make sure if you're going to go ahead and share this episode, you go ahead and tag Jack. I will include his show, social media in the the, uh, the show notes. Uh, man, that's what a tongue twister! Social media in show notes. That that seems like one of those uh, things you used to back in chorus class uh, when you get ready to uh, to sing. You you do the uh, the, the warm ups. So, uh, anyways, that I know I'm getting a little off track there. I am excited to uh, discuss what we have coming up here in the uh, the coming week because yes we have been busy <laughs> very very busy as we've started off March not just 
um, you know, in professional life, but also here at the Brian Nichols Show, working behind the scenes, pumping out content left and right for you folks, because what we want to do is make sure that you guys are, yes, walking away every single week with stuff that is giving you um, value, right? Number one, it's going to leave you educated. Number two, enlightened. And number three, informed. Uh, So with that being said, next week, uh, strap in. Make sure you hit subscribe over on uh, your favorite podcast catcher because we have a plethora of episodes airing. Uh, First, we're going to have Joel Getz. Now, Joel is uh, running for uh, mayor out in East Stroudsburg, PA, and he is going to be the inaugural uh, appearance on a brand new Sunday special episode where we are focusing on libertarian candidates uh, who are running across the United States. So, Joel, congratulations. I know, surprise, surprise, you are, uh, yes, the the first up here on The Price is Right, but no, uh, very excited to start this brand new segment. That'll be airing, yes, on Sundays as a a candidate special, so make sure you are not missing uh, the candidate specials as uh, we get forward, uh, moving forward into next week, then coming up on Monday, returning the man, the myth, the legend, Spike Cohen, returns to the Brian Nichols Show, uh, talking about, well, what can the Libertarian Party do better uh, in terms of reaching people beyond our traditional uh, echo chambers? Then on Wednesday, the man from Reason Magazine, who is doing all sorts of interviews over there, Nick Gillespie, he has returned to the Brian Nichols Show after a, uh, a year or so removed from his last appearance. And Discussing, uh, number one, uh, this new $1.9 trillion investment, air quotes, uh, that the uh, uh, Congress has made uh, going forward in the new uh, Biden administration, but Democratic-controlled House and Senate, and looking to see the impact that that will have on what he's talking about, uh, and actually, it's funny, we talked about Republican populism here with uh, Jack Hunter. Uh, With Nick, it's Democratic populism. What's happening with this populist rhetoric that's taking over the Democratic Party? And then on uh, Friday, we are joined by a friend of the show, Hannah Cox, uh, returning to the Brian Nichols Show, this time uh, talking about conservatives concerned about the death penalty. We had a nice conversation there with Professor David Dozer this past week about the capital punishment, but Hannah uh, digs into that a little bit more about some of the actual policy wins that we're getting, Uh, and it's really exciting to see that we're uh, making some change. Uh, And then Yes, drum roll, because I mentioned, I teased, we are doing a one-year anniversary of 15 Days to Slow the Spread. That's right. We are doing a COVID anniversary of highlights from uh, the best of Brian Nichols Show COVID episodes, where we're going to go ahead and we're uh, highlighting those conversations with uh, some of the top uh, folks that we've had in the program who, from the beginning, have been outlining just exactly how insane the approach that the government had took in, in response to the uh, the COVID pandemic uh, and really how these lockdowns ended up doing a lot more harm than good. We're going to see this. We're going to and we're already seeing this. The lockdowns right now are being resoundingly rejected. And this is really a great episode. If you were ever in a conversation out there with folks um, saying, no, we, well, we just didn't know we, we needed to do the lockdowns. You know, we, we, you just we, we had to make sure that we were being safe. Please do me a solid. Make sure you listen to this episode and go ahead and uh, share that with them. We're going to be airing that here on uh, on Monday as well. So, folks, thank you so much for uh, for strapping in for, yes, freaking five episodes uh, next week. You guys are going to be really busy. Um, so I appreciate uh, the, the, yes, we do a lot to, to try and get as much content out there as for. So I'm going to ask you guys, please do me a solid. Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. Uh, every review I read, and thank you to Thane uh, for the most recent five-star review. Fantastic show, Thane says. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate all the work you do. I really enjoy getting to hear new ideas 
and new points of view. And yes, that's one of the main goals here at The Brian Nichols Show, having conversations with people who we don't necessarily agree with. That was the conversation that we had with Professor Dozer, making sure that, yes, we were able to get beyond our political echo chambers and talk to people because, yes, we all live here. So uh, thank you, Thane, for the uh, the review. And if you want to go ahead and hear your review read next Friday, we'll make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating review, and tell us why uh, you get value at The Brian Nichols Show, why you're a new subscriber or a longtime subscriber. So thank you, Thane, for your review and thank you to all others who have gone ahead and already done your five-star rating and review so folks make sure you hit subscribe we have five phenomenal episodes in store for you coming next week but with that being said it's brian nichols signing off here on the brian nichols show for jack hunter we'll see you next week thanks for listening to the brian nichols show find more episodes at brian Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to William at dbpodaudio.com.